Exodus chapter 3 is on page 59 of the Church Bibles. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Supposing I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform, perform among them. After that, he will let you go. 
and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Elizabeth. Uh, this week I've been regularly in touch with one of the um, chaplains working at the World Athletic Championships in Berlin. Uh, he's been emailing me from inside the stadium as one world record after another seems to have been beaten by Usain Bolt. And to bring him back into reality, I said to him, look, I've got to preach a sermon on Moses on Sunday. Have you got any thoughts on that? Because you've got nothing else, else to do except sit in the stadium in Berlin. You can help me with my sermon. So he sent me the quote about living with your in-laws, which wasn't all that helpful. And the only other contribution he made was say, tell them that um, Moses, uh, Moses used to say that uh, sometimes he wore a wig, but he also had Aaron. So it wasn't very helpful, really. So I, um, uh, I decided this morning that rather than me telling you about Moses, I would practice my creative writing skills and uh, have invited Moses himself to come and, so to speak, give his testimony to you this morning. So this morning's sermon is uh, what I think Moses would say were he here this morning. So let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for this quite extraordinary chapter in the Old Testament, which is an absolute watershed moment in the revelation of who you are uh, to the people of Israel, uh, but also therefore to us, uh, your people today. And we pray that you would help us to understand it and to uh, enable uh, us to know you personally as Moses came to know you personally on that extraordinary day. So speak to us, we pray, from your word and encourage us to live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So good morning, everyone. My name is Moses. And uh, Andrew has asked me to join you here this morning uh, at St. Andrew's in Oxford to share with you the story of how I, Moses, came to faith in the true God and how it has changed my life. To be honest, I've never thought of myself as particularly special. Uh, but if they made a film about me and I was acted by Charlton Heston, I've always assumed that I must be quite famous because only famous people got acted by Charlton Heston, didn't they? I think that last week, uh, uh, my brother Michael Green, who has also been esteemed great in his generation, as I have been, uh, though in truth we're merely humble servants of a great God, he told you the story of Joseph. Joseph, who was the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of our father Abraham. And Michael left the story with the people of Israel, the people through whom God has chosen to make himself known, in Egypt and under the protection of Joseph and Pharaoh. Many years passed, and the people prospered and multiplied. We never lost our identity as people, partly because we remained largely racially distinct, and also because of our religion, which kept us separate from the Egyptians. This religion was taught and maintained by the group amongst the people known as Levites, and I, Moses, was born to Levite parents. But the Pharaoh at that time, who knew nothing really of Joseph and the story which is so familiar to all of you, ordered all Jewish boys to be killed. 
because he feared we would soon outnumber the Egyptians. He said all boy babies should be drowned in the Nile. Well, my mother was canny, and she hid me in a basket of bulrushes near the place where Pharaoh's daughter went swimming every day. And of course, as you know, she found me and rescued me, and my sister, who had been watching to see what would happen, then went and got my mum to come and nurse me, and in due course, I moved into Pharaoh's palace and grew up there. What a childhood I had. I could have whatever I liked whenever I wanted it. I just had to click my fingers and it would be brought to me by vast numbers of servants. Of course, I was also lucky to get an education and to learn the ways of the Egyptians, which proved mighty useful later on. My mother, I never really knew my father at all, also taught me the ways of my people. But I was not in the least interested in becoming a slave, to be honest, and I didn't listen to her much. I didn't think much about God either, but of course I knew that I was a Hebrew and not an Egyptian, and there was part of me that was proud of that. So when I was 18, I went to see how my own people lived, and I found that they were seriously oppressed. In fact, when I saw one of them being beaten up, I intervened, and as no one was looking, I killed the Egyptian bully. I look back now and can make sense of it all. Then, I thought it was just a stroke of good luck when Pharaoh's daughter found me, and a stroke of bad luck when the next day two young Jewish guys, after I'd murdered the Egyptian, threatened me to hand me over to the authorities. So I legged it, right across the Sinai Desert. It's a pretty rough place, I can tell you. I wasn't sure that I would make it all the way across, but I knew that I needed to put a lot of sand between me and Egypt. I suppose if I look back on my childhood, I would say that I was a spoilt brat. I thought that the world owed me a living and that I could even murder people and get away with it. I needed a reality check. Well, in Midian, I got that all right. I felt terribly alone in that place, even though I met and married a nice local girl, Zipporah, and we had a son, and my in-laws were very kind to me. But I missed my people and my home. And being a shepherd day after day was not exactly how I had imagined life would pan out. Uh, years later, uh, all this got written down uh, in the Bible. And uh, there's a little bit of it that I want just to, to read with you from Exodus uh, chapter 2. It says this about me. During the long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now, I have to say that it didn't seem like that to me. The people were suffering. I was cut off from them and miles away. Travelers brought stories, of course, of what was happening, but I don't think that I would have been able to do anything about it at all until a funny thing happened when I was looking after Jethro's sheep. And you read about that, and you saw the DVD. It is an extraordinary story. What really happened? You might think that if I don't know, nobody does. But I will be honest with you that there is still quite a bit of it that I do not understand. I don't understand how the bush did not burn, for instance. 
Of course, lots of people have what they call mystical experiences. Some of you will have had mystical experiences. You hear people saying that they have met with God. Prisoners speak of Jesus appearing to them in their cells. Others talk of an awakening or an overwhelming sense of God's holiness and their sinfulness and the need to repent. You will have read, I expect, of people during revivals like in uh, the Hebrides or South Wales or East Africa being overwhelmed by a sense of the presence of God and of their sinfulness. The two things always hold together, the holiness of God and the sense of man's sinfulness. And many of those features were present for me at the burning bush. Certainly, I became very aware of my weakness. You read about how I removed my sandals. I felt myself to be very unholy, and this was holy ground. And I found myself encountering a God who I barely believed in at all before. And he revealed himself to me as a personal God who not only knew all about me, but wanted and was going to have a personal relationship with me. Of course, at the time, I had no idea that this was one of the key moments in what would become the Bible's story of salvation. I just knew that it was my key moment, as actually many people do when they have these experiences. This was the moment I would call my moment of conversion. Before the burning bush, I knew a bit about God. After it, I knew God. And to be honest, not a day has gone by when we have not spoken with one another. Of course, I still struggle with the old temptations and the old sins, and my Christian life, my life following God, is not uh, entirely one of skipping through the daisies, as some of you will know. But it is certainly one which is about a relationship with God. So as I think about that encounter and the bush not burning and all that, it does seem crazy, but several things hit me about what God said. The first is in verse 4. God knew my name, Moses. How did he know that? Can God really know the name of every human being? Well, he must do, because I was no better. In fact, I was much worse than many others. But God knew my name, and he must have seen that I could do a job for him. And the wonderful thing is that that is true for each one of you too. He knows your name and he has something for you to do. Run with patience the particular race that God has set before you. God knows your name. Secondly, he said he was the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, about whom you have been learning recently. So I knew that this was not some new religion. Uh, there was nothing weird about it in the sense of it being uh, something that had not been known before, although, of course, the experience, to be honest, was quite weird. But knowing that this was part of what had happened before reassured me. You, too, are part of God's big plan. Things don't happen by accident when we put our hand into the hand of the living God. Thirdly, there was the name that God gave himself, Yahweh, I am who I am. I took this to mean not only that he was a person, or at least personal, 
but also that he was unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Always I am. You see, my mother had told me as a child about God's promise of a blessing, of a land, of a people more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, promises that had been made to Abraham. And I just thought that that was a story. That was a way of getting me off to sleep, a fairy tale, really. But at the burning bush, I came to see not only that that was my life was about, but also what all life was about. Of course, it is ironic that I never got into Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. I died, I died on the mountain, and Joshua led the people in. But I know now that it is not really the land that God was talking about from the bush, nor was it what he meant when he promised Abraham that he would bless his descendants. No, God was talking about heaven, and you will certainly find me there. God has a place prepared for you in heaven too. Andrew told me that when I gave my testimony here at St. Andrew's, I am to tell you about my life before I knew God, then how I got to know him, and thirdly, what difference it has made in my life. In fact, he says that everybody at St. Andrew's is told that they should be able to do that, and I hope that that's true, that you could tell people about your life before you knew God, how you came to know God, and the difference it has made. Uh, Andrew asked me to remind you that that was an important thing for us all to be able to do. <laughs> well, what happened to me was truly amazing, and I sum it up in six Ps, my life in, after I came to know God. Pharaoh, plagues, Passover, people, problems, and the promised land. Going back to Pharaoh terrified me, as you saw in the film. I was wanted for murder, for a start, and I'm not much of a public speaker and thought it highly unlikely that the most powerful man in the world would listen to me. But my story, like so many great people of God, as they're called, is about my inability and God's intervention. Pharaoh would not be persuaded, but then the plagues began, and eventually Pharaoh said, go. The Passover and the Exodus itself were God's great rescue of us all, then, in history. But don't forget that they also pointed to the way that the Lord Jesus, a much greater prophet and leader than me, has rescued all of you, and indeed me. And do you remember that, week by week, month by month, in the communion service as we did uh, from then on at the Passover. Then the people moaned incessantly all through those long 40 years in the wilderness. There seemed times when we would never get to the other side. How I thank God for people like Caleb and Joshua. Without them, I think I would have gone mad because so many people said we could never do it. There were so many scoffers, so many doubters, so many people who said life was better back in Egypt. But there were some high points. Getting the commandments was magic. Discovering God provided manna and quails to eat when I was at my wit's end were extraordinary moments. But there were low points too. I doubted God on at least one occasion and learnt hard lessons. But that time when they made a golden calf and worshipped it, when, we came, when I came down from the mountain with the commandments, that was the lowest point of all. 
There were many problems during those years, but somehow God kept us going, and when it looked hopeless, he would intervene and turn it round. And so finally I stood on the mountain and looked over the river and into the promised land. And it all seemed worthwhile then. It had been hard following God, although there were many, many great moments. But as I looked into the promised land and knew that the people would cross the river, I knew it had all been worthwhile. So who was Moses? Who am I? In all honesty, I feel I was a pretty ordinary bloke whom God chose to use, and he can do that with anyone. Maybe you sometimes feel pretty hopeless, as I did in that uh, experience in the desert when God told me to go to Pharaoh. How can I possibly do that? And I learned then that when I felt absolutely useless, that was the time when God could use me most powerfully. So beware, perhaps, of those who think they can fix it all in their own strength. My story is summed up by, I can't, but God can. But perhaps, because modesty forbids, I will leave the last word to the last words of the book of Deuteronomy. Because I wouldn't want to say this about myself. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. But Moses knew that it was God and not him. Amen. So let's stand to affirm our faith together in the words of the Creed.